Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? <clears throat> he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Thanks, Jim, for reading. I hope you keep uh, God's word open there in front of you, Genesis chapter 4. Uh, we have been digging through, kind of walking through slowly through Genesis. And today, I actually want to start our time with a picture. And that picture is from a particular point on Interstate 95 in South Carolina. So this is near Florence, South Carolina. And I pretty much see this juncture uh, every summer. So the juncture is I-95, if you keep going south, you're going to go towards Savannah and then down the coast of Florida. So you can make that choice there. Or if you get off that exit, you head toward Columbia and I head toward home, which is Augusta, Georgia, to see mom, couple sisters, nieces, nephews. So I'm at that juncture almost every summer. And I, I show you that picture because the way Genesis 4 unfolds, you're at a juncture. There's a juncture. There is a very different pathway that your life could go down. We're going to follow the, the descendants of Cain and see the pathway that that entire line of Cain follows. And then I hope you'll also see in relationship to God, there is a very different pathway that you can follow as well. We're going to spend some time at the beginning tracing the path of Cain. We're going to kind of hold that up for us to see, like, is there anything in my life that would resemble the path that Cain was on in Genesis chapter 4? So if you begin reading there, in the beginning, Cain is introduced and so is his brother Abel. It tells us there are basic occupations, right? It says in verse 2, Abel is a keeper of the sheep. He's a shepherd. And it tells us that Cain is a worker of the ground. So think of a gardener or kind of a, somewhat in the farming capacity. The first time humans are said to bring anything to God is actually there in verse 3. So do you have God's word there? Look at verse 3. It tells us that in the course of time, Cain brought something to the Lord. He brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And his brother Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. 
Cain brings an offering, so does Abel. But notice what it says here. It says, the Lord had regard to Abel for his offering, but for Cain and his offering, the Lord had no regard. There's a lot of different speculation on exactly why is Cain's offering refused and Abel's received. The thing that rang the most true to me as I was reading and studying is kind of embedded in some of those words there. So it does say that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground. But notice what it says about Abel. It's not just that he, he brought something. He brought the firstborn. As Leviticus, even Numbers, Deuteronomy will tell you, there's a sacrifice, even, even fat portions are given to the Lord, the, first, the firstborn. It seems there's some difference here. Cain seems to bring something that, that isn't, isn't acceptable. And the way I read this, we'll come back to this in just a moment. It seems as if Cain is maybe going through the motions, offering something. In a very different way, Abel is offering firstborn. Let's keep reading. As the story continues, Cain is angry. As a matter of fact, the second part of verse 5 there, you see it. So Cain was very angry and his face, his whole countenance fell. Obviously, his expectations aren't met. And it's the beginning of this, some clues here that Cain's relationship with God is not okay and it's not God's fault. There's something off here, right, in Cain's relationship with him. Cain receives something more than even Adam and Eve received. Listen to what Cain receives. The Lord says to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? I mean, if you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. What do I mean that Cain received something that Adam and Eve didn't receive? Cain gets a real-time tailored warning that the path you're going on is not a good path. Real time, countenance falls, and God speaks to Cain. He does tell him, like, I mean, no disrespect here, but God isn't playing games. I mean, you go to maybe a professional sports contest, and there's always kind of in between innings or in between quarters, there's, and the jumbotron, there's a game, and there's maybe three cups, and then there's the ping pong ball, and it moves, and, and you're trying to guess, is it one to end, it shifts, and you're trying to figure out which it is. I, I'm terrible at those things. In the end, basically, I'm just going, eh, maybe number three. I don't know what, I don't know which one it is. And trying to please God is nothing like that. As if a game's being played, as if you'll just happen to be lucky one day if you happen to get it right. He says, that's not. If, it, if you do right, like this, it, this isn't that hard. It's not impossible to please God. And if you don't do right, it says, it gives a picture of like sin crouching at the door. It's a picture that's magnified in James 1, that sin, when it is finished, it brings death. It's a picture that's magnified in 1 Peter 5, where it pictures the devil as a roaring lion crouching about, seeking whom he can destroy. That's the picture. It's a real-time warning. Like life and death, things are at stake here. It's, it's almost Jesus telling Peter, like Satan has desired to sift you. He's desired to wreck you, but I prayed for you. So what that reminds us is, is the Lord provides help. It's as if God is appealing here to Cain. I'm, I'm offering help, but you've got to realize 
Sin will totally wreck your life. Are you aware of that? A warning comes. God is so intent on helping people and Cain disregards that help. Look at verse 8. It tells us that Cain speaks to his brother, Abel, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. Many people will point out seven times in this passage, the word brother comes up. Abel, it's his brother, his brother, his brother. It's recognizing something very, very dark. Dark violence begins here. Sin doesn't begin here, but dark violence does. This is brother against brother. Abel's name means breath, and that's pretty much all he gets because that, that life is taken from him. And I know it's an economy of words. It's so brief, and it's a, like a pretty compact description, but the impact had to be devastating. If you've ever seen, if you've ever seen a, a parent talk about a violent death of one of their kids, then we begin to like get at least an in, insight into the, into the soul of Adam and Eve and what they must have experienced. God still engages here, though. Look at verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? God questions. He does something similar that he did in chapter 3. This isn't for his information. He knows exactly what's happened. But God moves toward Cain. And what does Cain do? He says, the end of verse 9 there, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to be the guardian here? Am I supposed to watch out for every... I mean, he begins to exaggerate cut of his, his responsibility. Is that what you're asking me to do? You hear the defensiveness. You hear the outright denial. You certainly hear the deflection. This is where our hearts can go. But in the end, we don't fool God. We don't fool him. The Lord says in verse 10, what have you done? This is what's happened. Like you can say, I don't know where he is. Am I my brother's keeper? But the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you're cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. So when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You will be a fugitive, a wanderer on the earth. God lays out the consequences, doesn't he? I mean, this is, this is justice to the point of innocent blood has been shed. Justice will be served. Life's going to be hard because of your sin, Cain. It says that he will be a fugitive, and that's one way to translate it. it it's hard to get all the meanings of this word. It certainly means that there's going to be a restlessness, but embedded in that first word is, is not just kind of wandering, but it's also a restlessness of your soul, like things are not going to be okay. And one translation I read even this week said, you're going to be a trembler. You're going to be a trembler and a wanderer. In other words, psychologically, we know the impact of this. We know the impact when things aren't right in our heart. And so there's a restlessness. Something doesn't seem settled. Maybe we have sinned. Maybe we've been sinned against. But, but there's something off even in our soul. Something doesn't, doesn't land quite right. And that is what's going on here. Uh, a fugitive, a trembler, a wanderer, how different that is than what God intended in Genesis 1 and 2. And if you've been with us in the study, like God designed a place not for people to be restless, but God designed a garden and said, it's yours. Work it and keep it. Take care of it. Enjoy it. Make it your home. 
He tells the first humans, like, this is your place. And now, Cain feeling the impacts of his sin is told you're going to be a fugitive and a wanderer. When Cain hears the natural consequences, he doesn't respond with regret or remorse. There's none of that. Actually, what he says is, that's not fair. That's not fair. Cain says to the Lord, verse 13, my punishment is greater than I can bear. And you have driven me today away from the ground. He's speaking to God. From your face, I'm going to have to be hidden. I'll be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. I mean, Cain's protesting. He's blaming. Do you hear him? God, you're destroying me now. I'm going to have to hide from your face. And there's going to be murder and violence against me. I mean, honestly, the nerve for Cain to talk about murder and violence but he says, murder, it's like someone's going to kill me and it's going to be your fault, God. You just see something going on in his, in his world and still, like notice what the Lord says back to him. I mean, it's strong words there at the beginning, right? Verse 15, the Lord said to him, not so. It's not going to be like that. I mean, in some ways you hear like, it's time for you to be quiet. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And so the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Amazingly enough, God corrects and protects. He protects Cain's life, not immediate destruction there. We go through those verses, and if I could just for a moment, what I'd like to do is in some ways put them up as a mirror so that we're not just peeking in on a story that happened. But is there any sense of this that is like going to expose where our hearts are in relationship to God? Like it, it would be, it could be a waste of your attention to just read this story as if it's kind of a novelty and not do some hard work that God may be wanting to do in your life. I want, I want us to like hold it up for a mirror because I do think Cain missed opportunity after opportunity to course correct. And I don't want you to miss an opportunity. And I also want, I want you to see that while it's too late for Cain, if you see something of yourself in that mirror, it may not be too late for you to hear his voice with a soft heart and to change and to be changed. So if I hold the story up kind of as a mirror and at least give us some handholds here, this is, this is the way it unfolds again. It unfolds, Cain brought an offering and God doesn't receive it. So we talked about that, right? And again, let's hold it up for a mirror. Is there any place where I might be bringing a token offering? Is there any place where I might be bringing something like not that meaningful or costly to me, my heart's distant, but maybe I'm acting religious enough, spiritual enough. So that in my mind, I can play a mental game and go, yeah, God's still on my team. Because look, I, I did this at least. If I hold up to the mirror, is there any place where like church attendance is convenient, but Monday to Friday, like there's, there's no sign that God's much of a priority in your life at all. It's, this would be like the token offering. I mean, you can give it for 
I guess a tax write-off, charitable contribution. Just enough to, like say, God see. But it's really not moved by any sort of generosity that because God has given, I'm motivated to give. Is there something here where, yeah, if there's a box to check, I guess I'm going to check I'm a Christian, but it's hard to imagine any priorities, any practices, any of my speech where that actually makes any bit of a difference. Uh, You know, I, I don't need to sit in judgment of you. I don't know what's going on in your heart. I know my heart at times in moving away from the Lord. At times, it seems like I hear Jesus say, love me with all your heart, and I'm just not there. And so as we hold up this picture and go, I can bring an offering, but is my heart in this? And like, this is the moment where we, we realize if we come to grips with, yeah, that is me. I'm not really giving everything to the Lord. If, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Yeah, that is not happening. I'm giving some sort of token allegiance and I don't know that that's right. You know, I, I'm, if God is like making you uncomfortable in this moment, maybe it is to remind you of there is a different path for you. Like there is a course correction you can make. I read of people like Zacchaeus who gets like a course correction and he's willing to like give everything. I read of Matthew, Levi in, in scripture where he is willing to like completely turn course. I, I read of a, a woman who had a past that has an encounter with Jesus and she gives just out of the abundance because she's, she knows she's been forgiven much. So you do not have to deal with God in a token relationship. That may be how you brought, were brought up. That may be your religious background. Maybe that's the way it's always been between you and God. There's some sort of token that says, God, I'm, I guess I'm on your team, but I, hope, I sure hope you're on my team. Yeah, all that, all that nonsense can stop today. And there can be something real driving. But instead of Cain turning he gets angry, right? Instead of humility, he gets very angry. And in that moment, God gives a clear warning. So Cain gets very angry, but God gives a clear warning. And I do have to, again, hold up the mirror and go, is there any place where, okay, it's one thing for Cain to be angry, but is there any place where our relationship with God is off? It doesn't seem like God really is on our team and we're, we're frustrated about it. God isn't doing what we think he should do because what we see is Cain taking further and further steps away from grace. And God calling him on that, telling him, you don't know where this goes. God actually issuing clear warnings. So maybe this is the time where you hear the clear warnings. So maybe you know that seed, that root of bitterness in your life is not okay. Maybe you know that resentment is growing. And God's speaking to you saying, Like, that is not the path you want to be on. Will you hear that warning? Maybe it's some sort of addiction, some sort of thing where you can kid yourself and say, I'm not enslaved, but you are. Maybe it is to some substance. Maybe it is to just, like, you've got to have more and more things. Maybe it is to pornography. Maybe it is to gambling. And you find yourself getting locked and locked further in and you hear a warning. And somehow you think you'll beat a system. 
maybe your selfishness, your self-centeredness is growing out of control and you realize it. You realize that's not, it's not healthy. You're more consumed with yourself. Life is not lived about others. Maybe it's some sort of relationship where you're flirting with things that, you know, like that, that crosses a line. And maybe you just haven't listened to the warning in the past, but here God has you again. God's showing you something today, and that's not, like, don't despise grace. There may be these, like, little encounters, little reminders. It may be that friend that pursues you one more time, that, that piece of accountability that you need deeply. Maybe you've wavered, but maybe time, today's the day where you remind yourself, yes, like, because God has redeemed me because Christ has died to change me because he's risen again. I, there is a course correction that can be, that can happen today. Yeah, instead of listening, Cain, Cain doesn't listen. He violently responds. He violently responds and God questions. So again, this is where it may get a, you're going to have to like think through, like we put up the mirror and you go, well, Curtis, I'm, I may be like not where I was spiritually at one point, but I'm not going to escalate anything to violence. But I do have to ask, like, could walking further and further away from the Lord, could that be causing like devastating influence and impact in your life and in your friend's life and in a family member's life? And in, I mean, have we not seen this? Have you not seen this in maybe your own life or maybe in the lives of people close to you? Then maybe it started off as something small, but then it further and further away, like further and further down the road of living life apart from God and deeper and deeper into this, you begin to see, like, man, it's just catastrophic. It's so painful to watch this person self-destruct and implode their lives. Could it be that's where you are? You know, at this moment, even with the horrific violence that Cain does, could he have turned even here? Could there have been a moment of repentance? Well, when I read the New Testament and read of Saul who persecuted and executed Christians, I see him turning. When I think of Jesus on, on the cross, looking at people that were mocking him, people that had like, been in charge of him being on the cross, thieves on either side mocking him as well. And I hear Jesus saying, Father, forgive them. It tells me something. Like, it tells me, I don't know how far you've gone, but today may be a day where you hear the voice of Jesus, Father, forgive them. They didn't even know what they were doing. And life could change for you. You could listen and you could be changed. You could respond to the, the questions. You could see, like, there, there aren't Two kinds of people here, like, like really, really good people and really, really bad people. There's, there's one kind of person, and that is the person that desperately needs Jesus. And are you aware, like, that's all of us? And if so, is that going to move you to turn back to Jesus? It didn't, it didn't move Cain at all, even as God questions. So you see him deflecting and defending himself, and God lays out consequences. Like, what you find here as I read this, it's, it's as if what happens with Cain is instead of like this being a speed bump or slowing him down, it's actually the foot goes on the accelerator and he moves further and further away from God. I mean, Cain even, as God lays out the consequences, he protests, he blames, 
God, it's your fault. And even there, God corrects and protects. But again, it's as if the foot gets on that accelerator. And I mention that about Cain because I don't know every heart in this room. And I, I mean, frankly, we could all like look pretty nice and play the part. And nobody knows that in our heart, we're moving further and further. And like things are getting colder and colder in our relationship with God. It's becoming more and more mechanical. We're becoming angrier and angrier. Is that a ride you want to stay on? What prevents you from getting off that ride? Is it your pride? Is it because you're just, you're just confident you have this and you're going to do it your way? Do we see ourselves in that picture at all? I want you to see what happened with Cain, but I, I want us to do some heart work evaluating. I think a lot of people in reading the story of Cain and Abel, maybe even most people that have grown up in church, probably a lot like me, that's kind of where the story ends, but that's not where the story ends. I actually want you to follow it a little bit further. Because in verse 16, it says something like that actually has haunted me all week. It says, then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled settled in the land of Nod. I, I think there's more than geography going on east of Eden. Cain knew his wife. She conceived and bore Enoch. And when he built a city, when Cain built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch, further away from the presence of the Lord. And he settled. Several of the next verses actually track Cain and his descendants further away from the Lord and settling you can read the picture, and I mean, maybe some of us expect, like, in God, like, there was a massive earthquake, and God swallowed them up, and, and they're done. But that's actually not what happens. They go their own way. And in some ways, they develop and cultivate. You read some of the descendants. You read what happens with them. Read one of them uh, there in verse 21. Is the father of those who play, all who play the lyre and the pipe. You read another in verse 20, you have the father of all those who have livestock. You got farming and music. You got verse 22, you got the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. And you have some technology going on. So one level, like here's a whole civilization happening, saying, God, we don't need you. Look at what we're building. Further and further away. Then you also read Lamech, one of the descendants, completely disregards God. Instead of one man, one woman united as a one flesh relationship, he has two wives. And you find him violently saying, look at verse 23, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, you hear my voice, you wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. And if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. This is what you have. You have a whole settlement away from God with now like, I mean, this is, many people recognize this is poetry, but it's vicious violence being celebrated. Retribution at the hand of someone that's out of control. This is what life looks like on the path away from the Lord. 
There may, there may not be one self-conscious atheist in the room. I mean, maybe there is, maybe there's not. I don't know. And I'm not sure you have to be a self-conscious atheist to take that one step and then another and then another and then another and then go, you know what? God means nothing to me. And the facade may be like it's all going fine. But actually the New Testament weighs in on exactly the life of Cain. First John 3 says Cain was of the evil one. Jude, several places, recognized Cain is one who is designated for judgment. And that's his story, but it doesn't have to be yours. Remember at the beginning I said, like, there is a path that takes you further and further away from the Lord. But there is another path. It's actually, man, it's right there at the end of those verses. Uh, at the end of that chapter, chapter 4. Look at verse 25. So right there at the end, and it's a simple wording here. So it tells us that Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. She says, God's appointed for me, Eve speaking, another offspring. And notice the pain here, instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also was a son born, and he called his name Enosh. And it was at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. That's a very different path. It was at that time. Again, all sorts of questions. Why, why at that time? I think the, one that, the explanation that makes the most sense to me is maybe Adam and Eve heard that promise in Genesis 3 that one day one of Adam and Eve's descendants, one of, a descendant of the woman would come and would just crush. The serpent would crush, would eliminate evil, would deal with sin. And so they wondered, is this Cain? It's not Cain. Is it Abel? Abel's gone. Is it Seth? It becomes clear, like there's very little recorded about Seth. It's not him. And then it says at the time of Enosh, they began to call on the name of the Lord. They began to pray. Maybe it's that time when they settle in on like, God may not send that rescuer that's going to crush the serpent's head. It may be a while. It may not be immediate. But they still have to live in a broken world. They still have to live in a world of pain. And so they cry to the Lord. They call on the name of the Lord. I wonder if some of those cries are, Lord, you promised to send a rescuer. You promised to make this right. Lord, do what you promised. You see, that's the essence of prayer. And it's a very different way to orient your life. You certainly can orient your life away from God, or you can orient your life much like what happens with Seth and Enosh, where they're calling on the name of the Lord. They recognize there's a, there's a matter of faith, like, God, you promised, please act. Look at this broken world, and Lord, deal with sin. Deal with the reality of it. Maybe looking to God saying, we are weak. Like, we can build all the cities we want. We can create all the music we want. We can do all the farming and livestock we want. We can create all the sort of instruments. We can do all sorts of things with technology. But even in the end of that day, we're still weak and you are strong. We're sinners. And God, it seems like for whatever reason, you have promised to be for us, even though we're sinners. 
the relationship with God was broken, but it's like calling on the name of the Lord saying, we need you. Don't leave us. Don't abandon us. That's not just their story. I find at the root, that's what prayer is right now. That's, that's what prayer is for us. Until God comes and makes everything right, is that not part of what we're doing? We're saying, Lord, this, this burdens my soul. This doesn't seem right. Lord, we, would you come? We're going to call on the name of the Lord. Life can be overwhelming. My, my head and my heart can get distracted so easily. I can, I can struggle with sin, and then sometimes it feels like I'm not struggling that hard. I'm just giving in. Oh, Lord, we're calling on his name. Like, Lord, help. One day Jesus did come, like that, that one who had crushed the serpent, he, he did come and he actually gave a taste of what it would look like when he rules and reigns. He only gave a taste when he came in the flesh the first time. And they got a taste of like, okay, this is what it looks like when God rules over this earth. Demons are cast out, the blind see, sinners are forgiven. They find a welcome. This is what it looks like. Jesus even taught us to pray differently. Like when we call in the name of the Lord, Jesus said, when you go to the Lord, now you ask things in my name. I will mediate that relationship. You ask them based on my authority. And I'm sending you my spirit to help you in your weakness. And so in many ways, we're right there in Genesis 4. We're looking at a broken world and we are still calling on the name of the Lord. We're living in a world where we hurt people and where we get hurt where we tune God out even, even though we know we belong to him. We feel isolated. We feel cut off. We feel discouraged. We feel frustrated. So we say, God, you've got to come through. And slowly but surely, as we call on the name of the Lord, God changes our heart. It's not so much, God, do what I want you to do. It's no, 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 God. Like, do, do what you want done. Your will. Like, as it's done in heaven... Lord, would you do that on earth? Like we want your kingdom and your rule to be established. And we keep calling on the name of the Lord until one day, one day Jesus returns and we don't just get a taste of what it's like when he sets down all his enemies, but we get the full experience, the full reality. At that point, the serpent is crushed and Jesus makes everything new. And at that point, there won't be a need to cry out to him in prayer. Like calling on the name of the Lord, like that, that'll be done because we'll see him face to face. And in the new heavens and new earth, everything will be done exactly, exactly according to what God wants. And it'll be perfect. But until that day comes, my question for us is, what path do you see yourself on? And if you're on the path that's going further and further away from the Lord, is this the morning where there is a massive course correction because of God's grace to you and the Holy Spirit's work in your life to change you to be more like Jesus? Where he rewrites your story and puts you on a path where you are a part of the people who, although it feels like spiritual progress is slow, We call on the name of the Lord. We call on the name of the Lord. That's exactly what I'd like to do to close our time right now. I'd like to call on his name. Will you join me? Father, in this service, we've sung that 
while our sins are many, your mercy is more, so we are pleading for that mercy. I am pleading for your mercy on hearts that maybe have wandered or maybe just completely nosedived away from you. That you would turn and rewrite stories. That you would show grace and compassion. And as a result, our lives would be, we would be those who call on your name. We would be those that help others call on your name. We can't make change in our own strength. So the person who is alarmed and concerned and repentant and wants restoration, give them hope today. I pray your your grace would be more evident than pain or sin in their lives. Do all this so that Jesus is seen as the king he truly is. We ask this all in his name. Amen.